so welcome to your queer story. We are your host. I am Paul Hobbs. You wish. (laughs) (laughs) That's Evan, and I am Paul, and we are the hosts of Your Queer Story, an LGBT Q plus history podcast with some comedy and community elements thrown in for fun. Yeah, whatever the fuck we want to throw in. This is our (laughs) podcast. Um, so, what did you do this week? Mm. Last night, I went to the Dark Lady for their back-to-school block party. That was fun. Yeah. I did something. What else? Oh, we were at... Wait, what did we do? I don't know. Did I do something? I started doing... You said... You told me you had a busy week. You were too busy to do any research, so please tell me about this busy, busy week. (laughs) I had a lot... I started doing yoga every day. Okay, good. So, I do that for at least 40 minutes a day. I went shopping. I bought some cute fall clothes. I saw your picture... On, um, didn't looked, I look like a model? You I look was like, a model. like, oh You're my god! You have to quit this this podcasting business. I know. I was like, this there. is like the first. Okay, so I am the least photogenic person I have ever met. Slightly true. Yes. <laughs> and I have to work really hard <laughs> to look good in a picture. Like, I, I think I look... Your face I, looks great otherwise. Yeah, I think I look a good face. I think I look great outside of it, but whenever I try to take a picture, for some reason, I look like the troll under the bridge next door. <laughs> um, not next door, because, you know, it's not that's the random troll under the bridge, but... I don't know why. So I've just started making ugly faces and pictures intentionally, mm-hmm. and then... I got this new sweater, and I tried to take a picture. I took, like, 30, so that was the best of 30. Uh, that's good. I used, you know, a little filter, but... That's, it still look good. It look good. Yeah. I mean, I can't judge, because I also do not have a photogenic face. Like, one of my eyes always squints too close, and yeah. I always try to keep that eye open, but then I just look like I'm crazy, <laughs> because I'm trying, I'm straining to keep that it's eye open. It's this eye for me. This eye's yeah. always, like... It's like, like yeah. I look like a pirate, like, come on. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, all right, so you got some new clothes. I also got some new clothes. I got some fall clothes, too. Oh, my God. I got... So, I, I went to a wedding night last night. It was a gay wedding. It was a queer wedding, but it was two homos got married. And they were a really sweet couple. They were some of our best friends. So, anyways, but it was really sweet. And so, I, I went to go get shopping, and I got, like, this blue vest suit mm-hmm. and... Um, and pants and like this brown shirt underneath and these oh, new... Oh, I bet that looked good on you. Oh, it looked really good. With your eyes too? I know. It looked really good. I wish I had a better picture of it. I didn't have... I'm some. I'm sure the, like, the official pictures will come out soon, but like I didn't get any good pictures, but I love it. I look great. And then I got like just a casual fall outfit since I was out and about. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Good fall is my favorite time of the year. It's like yeah. the best fashion time in my opinion. It is a good fashion time. I will give. I think it's the best fashion time. I prefer spring, but no, I, I, I will give the fall. fall. The fall fashion is on point. I love those browns and cranberries and all the pretty colors. And the grays. There's a the lot of nice grays. Orange. Oh yeah, grays. Oh yeah. It's a real. It's beautiful. And that's when you get to start drinking all your hot tea and coffee, and it and feels so good. And your pumpkin spice. No, I hate pumpkin spice. Mm, oh my god. I would like pumpkin spice off of a whore's ass. I'd do it. I probably have in the past, to be honest. <laughs> to be probably. honest. Probably. There's <laughs> a lot. There's a big portion you of probably my life a, I don't remember. You probably had a tasting. <laughs> this one's pumpkin spice. This one's vanilla cream. This one's... <laughs> I probably did. I'd be like, wait a minute. What's this creamy substance? You guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new YouTube challenge coming out shortly. <laughs> Wait, where I lick stuff off your ass? Not mine. <laughs> Who's offering their ass? Come on, we're gonna by. do a Twitter poll. We'll do like a Twitter, like you can win the. 
and tree. <laughs> okay. And it's just random people. You have no idea who let's they just, are. Let's just get a flashlight. Like one of those ones that looks like the ass. And we'll, and we'll put the <laughs> stuff on there. We'll each put our, our that would little topping be funny. on there. That would be, be really funny. funny. <laughs> Good. If you yeah. want us to do a flashlight challenge, <laughs> if you want us to lick things off of an unused flashlight. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Nobody send it in. Um, <laughs> I got one. Um, yeah. Just tweet us. Yeah, just tweet Send us, us a let tweet. Us let us know. Mm. Um, I actually wanted to... Hashtag flashlight challenge. Yes, hashtag flashlight challenge. And we challenge. will lick creamy substances off of an ass. A beautiful plump ass. Yes. Mm. Okay, so... Um, this podcast is brought to you by our Patreons. So thank you all so much for donating and supporting us. And we want to give a special shout out on this episode to The Night's Wishing Well, which is by Michael Finn Ling. It's an incredibly sweet and cute book. Um, you can find it on Amazon for only $6. It has female giants in high heels. Oh. It has a 20-year-old wizard who never ages with beautiful blonde hair. I think it's blonde. I might be wrong. It's a really cute, sweet book. Um, yeah. And I really recommend taking a look at it. And again, you can find it on Amazon. Right now, it's on sale for only $6. And it's on Prime. You can get it to your house in two days. Yeah, so check that out. The Night Swishing Well by Michael Finling. Um, I'm excited to read it, but Paul's been hogging it. So maybe at some point, I will get to, to read the copy or I'll have to get my own. I don't know. Um, also, remember, you can join our patreon we were a little slow on our videos but don't worry we will have by the time you're listening to this we'll have some new ones up um i also will have a transition video up there so if you want to follow my transition you can go on our patreon and you can join for only one dollar or you can do three dollars five dollars a month or of course if you want to be really generous twenty dollars a month if you want to make sure that queer history stays out there and available especially for younger generations you can donate there. Um, every little bit helps. A dollar really, really goes a long way. It does. We yeah. have grown our Twitter following now to 2,400. And if you've been listening, you can see that number's gone straight up. That's but right. if everyone on Twitter that follows us donated just a dollar, that would give us $2,400 a month. We could really do a lot with that. We could open a center somewhere in Providence or Warwick or yep. somewhere in Rhode Island to kind of have a safe place for people to go yeah. whenever they need something. So that's, that's our, our goal. Yeah, that's yeah. our goal. We want we've to been, help. Yeah, we've been doing we've been doing face-to-face support groups, but we're just doing it at any place that can take it right now. We had our first, uh, that's something else I did this week, we had our first mm-hmm. transgender sober support group that meets in Warwick, Rhode Island. You can find out more information either on our website, yourqueerstory.com. Um, there is our calendar there that has all the information. You can also go on Facebook and on our Facebook support group, especially. I also put the information there. Um, but we, so we had our first transgender sober support group. It was good. We had a couple people. Anybody else is welcome to come. The FTM, um, support group got canceled because, uh, there was nobody there, (laughs) but the first one was really good and we have them every other week. So don't worry. Um, if you're FTM transmasculine, we're just trying to provide some more support specifically for the transmasculine community. And then our church of Christianity, we're just trying to define what exactly we want. So we want to have a, um, a support group once a month where four queer individuals, um, right. It's very uh, positive. Our, our goal, I think, is to just have a place that people can go once a month mm-hmm. to interact, you know, have some donuts, have some coffee, laugh, have fun, and really build a family connection. Yeah. Um, you community. Know, yeah, community. A lot of people don't have as much support as 
others. Yeah. So we just want a place where everybody can go and connect and meet and meet yeah. friends and kind of talk and learn at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I think well, that's my goal, at least. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, I grew up in church, and um, I don't go anymore. And I do say, that, I will say that sometimes I miss that community. Like, going to a place every you know, every week, but you know, even if it was once a month, going you to a place, there. I, did. I uh, more than it was not every week. It was like every day, but anyways, but going to a place and getting some positive reinforcement, being encouraged and then having a community. That's the point of the church of Christianity. So if you go to our events calendar, we'll have when the next one is going to be, um, and you could come and check it out, but we're trying, but that's another reason why we want to have the center so that people have a place to go, helping homeless youth, mm-hmm. helping um, people just to have. I mean, if you grew up in church and now you're feeling disconnected from your religion, it would be, wouldn't it be nice to have a place to just, I don't know, if there's something about the community. I know you didn't go to church growing up, but there's something no. about that, that positive community, mm-hmm. you know. And even from uh, someone who grew up atheist, the... I grew up atheist, so I didn't have that church connection, so I don't miss it, but I do enjoy meeting and interacting with people and building a community, so that's something that even non-religious or um, previously religious people could enjoy. It's, yeah. it's just a safe space for everyone. Yeah. So so anyway, so follow us, yourqueerstory.com. You can check out the events calendar, and then of course you can go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest... Anywhere you do your social media, we're on there. We post updates on there. You can also find out information there. Um, And, of course, our Patreon. Remember, if you go on there, our videos that are exclusive only for our Patreon followers, we're going to be discussing Kavanaugh and the Supreme Court and, of course, uh, electing a Supreme Court justice. And we're going to be talking about Russian poisonings. Please don't poison me. Please don't. But we're going to be talking about it. Yeah, we're going to be talking about all the poisons that they do. So... Join our Patreon. Check us out on social media. Um, and don't forget to go and check out The Night's Wishing Well on Amazon. Especially if you have kids. Get them a good queer fairy tale. A yeah. fairy tale for fairies. Exactly. I wish I had something like that when I was younger. I yeah. just feel like it would have made me feel more included, I guess. Yeah. Like there was never any fairy tales about people like me. Yeah, no. So mm-hmm. it was nice. It was yeah. very nice. Yeah. And there's no damsel in distress or anything like that. It's too... Two strong characters. Good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to check it out. So let's dive into a special edition of our podcast, which is a thank you to our followers who are allies of the queer community. Yes. Um, today we will be discussing Evelyn Hooker, who was an early ally of lesbian and gay individuals. In fact, it was a request from a good friend who was gay that led her to begin her life's research. And though she was straight and could have ignored the extreme prejudice against the queer community, Dr. Hooker instead changed the way psychologists and the medical industry viewed and treated homosexuals. And we have a lot of allies, especially in our support group, like that have grown. We have a lot of, uh, you know, like straight cisgender allies uh, um, that are out there. And, you know, I have a lot of good friends and I know you do. Mm-hmm. And it's important just to remember those people. Yeah. You know? So if you're one of those people who's at people who's at a gay bar or something in your life, why are there straight people here? This is our place, blah, blah, blah. Remember that we do have a lot of allies in our community, Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of people who aided us in our journey to become equals. Yeah, yeah, our journey to freedom. Yes. So, many of us have had straight and or cisgender allies stand up and defend us and openly support us. 
And while we don't want to take away from queer heroes, we do want to recognize those who have made such an impact on our history and individual lives. And so I do have a little bit of a um, ulterior motive for this episode because my my sister Deanna, hi Deanna, I know she's listening, she, her birthday is going to be coming up right after this episode is released. And when I talk about my family a lot, I just skip over it. I'm just like, oh, my family's awful. Oh, my family doesn't accept me. And I'm really referring to my parents, a couple of my siblings, because I'm one of seven children. <laughs> Real typical religious household there, guys. <laughs> right? Um, so my parents and then like my uh, most of my extended family, like I don't have much contact. But I do have three siblings Two in particular that have been very, very supportive and another who's just been like, I don't agree, but I want you in my life, you know, and I appreciate that. And so, and my sister Deanna though, had from the first time that I ever came out, when I came out as a lesbian, has been like my biggest supporter. Um, and that's just been, that's just meant like the world. I don't know. Like I would have, I don't know what I would have without Deanna. Um, Cause I don't know if my other siblings would have, you know, been, been come around the way that they have. And um, so having, I don't know, it just means a lot to me. So I love you, D. And this episode is dedicated to you. My part of this episode is dedicated to you. And we hope that you enjoy it. And and then, of course, our other allies and friends from me, like my, my in-laws, my family in Rhode Island. Also, I want to say thank you and I love you. And... So I want to dedicate my part of this episode to my mother. Hmm. She has always been an ally and has always fought for my rights, my equality, and acceptance in our community from, I mean, even before I came out. Like, she just has always been a very supportive person. Um, she's the mom you'll see at the store with her two kids wearing like a pride hat, full rainbow, just grocery yeah. shopping. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's just a Tuesday. There's no yeah. reason for it. She just decided to put it on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So she's been great. Thank you, mom. Uh, it's mean, it has meant a lot to me. Um, and then also our, all the roommates we've had. Oh my God. Katie, yeah. Katie. Sarah. Uh, Liz. Liz. We've had a, I mean, if we wanted to, we would have a whole podcast dedicated just to just us reading our roommates. Um, But yeah, Yeah. we've had a lot of great people who have come into our life Mm -hmm. and have had a really positive and supportive impact. So thank you all from the bottom of both of our hearts. Yes. And um, yeah, so yeah, and this is going to be a good episode because again, as we talked about with allies, what? <laughs> Don't worry, I'll scroll through the computer because Evan has difficulty. I can't do technology. <laughs> uh, no, but as we talked, about, I love this episode because, I mean, you just have to like. This is not discounting the queer community. Yes, queer individuals got us where we are, but. There were some straight allies that without them, I don't know if we w- where we would be today. Right. And Evelyn Hooker is absolutely one of those people that without her, I do not know where the queer community would stand today. I don't know. We could still be locked up in asylums, being electrocuted, literally, folks. Like, this woman is very important. And she was straight, but she was, like, she was there for us. And she was there for us, like, in a really hard time. This was, yeah. like, this wasn't the early 2000s. This was, like, 1950s, Lavender Scare. Yeah, before Stonewall, before any of the, like, the civil rights yeah. stuff happened. Nothing. So yeah. this was, like, really controversial for her to be doing this. Yeah, exactly. So. 
We start this story in North Platte, Nebraska, on September 2nd, 1907. The Gentry household was neighbors to the famous Buffalo Bill, though they were much, much poorer than the celebrated icon. In fact, Evelyn's parents towed the poverty line for most of her life. Her parents were farmers at the turn of the 20th century when industry was taking over and farming was becoming incorporated rather than individualized. Of course, the nine children in the family didn't help the expensive. Damn. Just, yeah, I don't know. Just everybody's having kids then. Nobody did the pull-out method. I don't know. I, I mean, know there wasn't, this, there wasn't birth control. Yeah, but. but people were, this wasn't the time when, like, you had nine kids and two survived. Right, no. Like, <laughs> this was, like, the, right at the time where people were having a lot of kids, but they were all living. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. nature, uh, nature's uh, birth control kind of yeah. fell off there, I guess. Yeah, and they actually lived, I think I, maybe I put it in there, she lived in her, she was born in her grandmother's house. Her grandmother's the one that lived next to Buffalo Bill, and um, who was a really interesting figure in himself. But by this time, he was much older in life, and I, I don't know, like, there was this just really poor family living next to this, like, guy's, I don't know, his, what is it, his, like, plantation? Not a plantation. I don't even know who Buffalo Bill is. I've heard the name, but I have no he, idea who he He was is. just, like, this guy that went around... I mean, today it would be really racist. Did he ride Buffalo? Like <laughs> No, he, but he was like this... So he like took the west to the east, you know? And so like he would go... He had this traveling caravan. It was like the early carnivals. And he would take all these people. And um, But his he was most famous for reenacting the um, wars between the cowboys and Indians. And he oh. would like... He would have real Indians and they would reenact this war, like this battle oh. for people. Well, I mean, if it was acting... If it was real Native Americans and they were... I mean... Well, they were kind of like... It, he didn't force them to do it. They weren't captives, but they were kind of like in this position where like, okay, well, the white man's stolen everything from us. If we go work for this guy, we can at least make some money and we won't be forced on a reservation. Like, yeah, it's kind of... It wasn't it's like... It's a, a shitty situation. It's a very yeah. shitty situation, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was Buffalo Bill, but I, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that, you know... So they were financially forced into... Reenacting this reenacting a uh, very yeah. traumatic part of their um, existence. Yeah, so yeah, that's... it's very it's very racist. Um, but anyway, he's a very wealthy man, and but apparently the people around him weren't. Hmm. So Evelyn's mother, Jessie Bethel. Oh, <laughs> that is a that is a name, Jessie Bethel. Always that's about as southern as I guess. <laughs> yeah, it is. That is. Um, she always told Evelyn that the best thing to obtain in life was an education. Because they can never take that away from you. Her mother never completed more than a third grade education, but was determined that her children would have better. In 1920, when Evelyn was 13, the family moved to Sterling, Colorado. There, the young girl was enrolled in high school where she excelled, earning a place as an honors student. In 1924, when she was 16 years old, she graduated and went off to the University of Colorado with a scholarship for tuition. She earned herself uh, a scholarship because you know, obviously her family couldn't afford it, and she went off to the university with, at a time when a lot of women weren't going off to college. Yeah, you know, more were, but not as many. You know, it still wasn't mm -hmm. like today. Yes. So, while the cost of tuition was covered, Evelyn still had to pay for her living expenses. To do so, she worked as a maid for a wealthy family in Boulder, Colorado. So she also interned for Dr. Carl Munzinger, who guided her through her studies for her master's degree. Evelyn experimented with trial and error, trial and error behaviorism using rats as her subjects. She even wrote her master thesis paper on her findings. 
She was. She then applied to Yale University to pursue her doctorate, but was denied a referral because she was female. Yeah, it was actually someone that she... Uh, well, guess what, Yale? You fucked yourself over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more because there was a friend that she worked with at you know, the University of Colorado. And he... Because Yale, especially at that time, like you could only get in through a referral. Mm-hmm. And so she came to him for a referral, and he's like, no, nah, you're a woman. You won't fit in there. And so he wouldn't refer, and Yale won't accept an application. At least at that time, wouldn't accept oh, an application. Oh, so he fucked Yale over he, then. Yeah, he fucked Yale over. Yeah. So instead, Evelyn went off to John Hopkins and, won his, and was one of only 11 women to enroll in their Ph.D. program in 1930. She received her doctorate in 1932, but the nation was in the throes of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Work was scarce, and a living wage was even scarcer. We mentioned how industrialism had taken over farming. As more and more rural residents lost their homes to big corporations, they fled to cities. Most were lured to these cities with handbills that promised plenty of food, jobs, and housing. However, these were employed by wealthy business owners who wanted to increase their employment pool in order to decrease their wages. So as an example, if a business has 500 jobs and only 400 applicants, then they have to pay whatever they must to staff their job openings. If they have 500 jobs and 1,000 applicants, then they have to pay pretty fair. But if you have 500 job openings and 5,000 applicants, then you can simply look for the 500 people willing to work for the cheapest pay. And then your business crumbles because the people you hire don't give a fuck, modern America. That's true. Well, that they get me, uh, angry. It's very interesting because this, um, I'm reading The Grapes of... I think of, when you hit this, it goes... Oh, sorry. It's very interesting because I am reading The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. And I've been reading that book for a long time. We still need time. It's a fucking long book. <laughs> also, I've read like two books in between because I I like no, it is interesting. It's just long, and I like to mix things up. And normally, I'll read about two books a week. But when it's a long book like *Grapes of Wrath*, it's like I'll read a section and I'll read something else, and so it'll like, it'll take me a little longer. I'm almost done with it, but I can't. Like it's very interesting, um, and it's interesting because he talks about this. Uh, Steinbeck where like these uh, this was he talks more about people coming to California but like all everyone's losing their farms right they can't settle their land um the banks are buying up all the farms and they're evicting the people the people have nowhere to go and so they're getting these handbills from California that's like hey come out here we've got lots of jobs it's beautiful out here we got everything you need so everybody goes to California but the truth is it's just these business owners that want everyone there so that they can find people like they'll be like hey um so they'll come and say like the standard wage would be 50 cents an hour and they'll be like all right well we'll pay 40 cents and the guy over here is like well i'll, I'll work for 30 cents and this guy's like well i'll work for 20 cents and this guy's like if you just give me some food i'll work i don't care so people are living like they have no food they, they have they barely have enough food to live mm-hmm. they have nowhere to go and they're um and they're being forced you know they're living on the like the side of the road they're being hated and just reminded me of like today yeah you know um anyways i would really recommend reading the grapes of wrath if you have time (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but it just like it talks so so evelyn's trying to find a job during this time as an educator Mm -hmm. you know it's not even harder yeah the whole country is just crumbling and it's because of that it's the same situation that we're seeing today Mm -hmm. where like the minimum wage hasn't gone up but the cost of living continues to rise. And the cost of education, the cost of everything, the cost of everything's going up. And then businesses are like, well, we gave you an extra 10 cents on your raise this exactly. year. Exactly. We raised it with a minimum wage 50 cents. I don't know why you're complaining. But 
you see what happened is that then people got angry and they revolted. Mm-hmm. And when people are angry, they're going to revolt. So keep it in mind, Trump. It's and it's going to be revolting. It's not going to be marching. No. Remember no. the French Re- Revolution, motherfucker? <laughs> We're going to get the guillotine. Not really. No, we don't condone violence. I don't. I, oh, no, I, I don't condone violence. <laughs> <laughs> I would never hurt another human or an, no, another. You I would never hurt. I, don't, I take bugs out of the house and put them on leaves outside so they can live <laughs> their life and flutter away. I can't hurt anything. I can't say that I wouldn't march down the street and yell and throw things, yeah. not hitting people, but. Yeah. I, I would never hurt someone. Yeah. So, Evelyn's good fortune seemed to be working when she landed a job at Maryland's College for Women. However, just a year later, she came down with tuberculosis and went off to California, where she spent two years in a medical asylum, resting and recuperating. They took it real serious. Yeah, they did back then. Tuberculosis. <laughs> like, today you could just get, like, a shot. But, yeah. like, back then, you're like, oh, you're out for the next two years. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Call off work. You're done. <laughs> right. Um, hey, uh, this is Evelyn, so I'm not going to be able to get in. All right, well, when are you coming in? Um, I ugh, Maybe a year and a half. I'm going to need about maybe 500 two? days off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, make sure you bring back a doctor's note, okay? <laughs> Jesus. She went back to teaching again for a year, then received an invitation to study in Germany in 1937. The purpose of this fellowship, as it is called, was to survey in the Institute of Psychotherapy of Berlin. However, it was the monstrosities outside the Institute that would truly intrigue Evelyn. There we go. I got it. You got it. You nailed it. Uh, yeah, so if you know your World War II history at all, then you know that Evelyn decided, oh, 1937's a great time to go to Germany. It's, uh, she's fucked because World War II broke out in 1939. Mm-hmm. So at Berlin in 1937 was a city on the brink of terror. Much like the South of <laughs> America today. Exactly. Much like America today. Well, yeah, but mostly the South. You think so? You think I the do. South is I think, like... I think the liberal I feel like areas the, of the, the country. South feels like they're like coming into their own right now. Like this is their country, and I feel like it's the the East and West Coast that are living in terror. Well, yeah, but the South is the one that's going to bring it. I mean, like well, the South is the one that's like and the Midwest. Ugh. Don't don't forget yeah. the Midwest. Yeah, what like Montana? Besides Oklahoma. Chicago, Chicago's like the only beacon of light. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's like uh, somehow they get sandwiched in between there. It's like, yeah, it's your raft in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) So Adolf Hitler had won as chancellor in 1933 and had seemed to restore Germany to its power since its demise after World War I. So that was a big thing. Like, Germany lost World War I. Make Germany great again. Make Germany great again. Make Germany great again. That wasn't a good German accent. (laughs) What is it? Vive, make Germany. Great again. Hey! Yeah. Uh, notice any parallels there, people? Just <laughs> exactly. Well, that was like, that was basically what he wrote on. Like, he was like, Germany had been just destroyed in World War One, and like, just the, and, and the nation as a whole was just crumbled, and, and Hitler came in and was like, we're gonna rebuild this. Mm-hmm. We're gonna restore Germany to its glory, its former glory. The Nazi party was firmly established in all areas of government, and pressures against minority groups was beginning to rise. That year, Germany, Japan, and Italy signed the Anti-Comintern Pact. This pact allied the countries in the case of a so-called unprovoked attack by a Soviet country, specifically Russia. 
As a side note, just two years later, Hitler would break this pact and sign the Nazi-Soviet pact with Russia, which allowed Hitler to invade Western Europe without fear of Russia's interference. It also allowed the Germans to purchase weapons from the Soviets for the first half of World War II. So all this is going on, and so basically this is like the rise of, like, this is the Red Scare, right? Mm-hmm. This is like everyone's afraid of communists, and even Germany, like, they don't want communism. So they, they ally with Japan and Italy, and they're like, we're not going to let those commies come in here. But then later Hitler's like, well, if I want to invade all of Europe, I'm going to need some weapons, and I don't know where I'm going to get them, because the Japanese, they only say for swords, and I need some guns, so mm, maybe I go to Russia, and so he breaks the pact, and all hell up breaks through. And then he allies with Russia. Oh my god. Wow. I wonder if Russia helped get Hitler elected. Ooh, ooh, I wonder if there was like some secret plan to get Russia, to get Hitler elected, and to break out war. Who knows? Russia's always sticking their stinky fingers in everything. They're so far away from everyone. Russia like this giant is the fucking... shadiest bitch. <laughs> they're the shady bitch that stands on the edge of the party and they're just whispering gossip to everybody and they're like, oh my god, did you hear that she cheated on her boyfriend? And then they just walk away and you're like, and then this fight erupts and Russia's sitting on the side like, yes, all of this would be mine. As they're pouring poison in the fucking punch. <laughs> Exactly. They're up on the side <laughs> while fights are breaking up and they're just dumping poison in the punch. <laughs> so, Jesus. as talk of war mounted in Europe, Evelyn resided with a Jewish family just outside of Berlin. Of course, we know that discrimination was was most harsh against Jewish citizens. While living in Germany, Evelyn witnessed the Kristallnacht or the Crystal Night on November 9 on November 9th, 1938. Angry mobs stormed the Jewish communities of Germany and Austria, burning burning buildings, smashing windows, and beating anyone they assumed was a Jew. Authorities stood by and did nothing as over 7,000 businesses were destroyed and at least 91 individuals murdered. In addition, 30,000 Jewish men were arrested and placed in concentration camps and their communities were fined for all the damage that had been done by the mobs. The shattered stained glass windows that covered the earth gave the event the nickname Night of the Broken Glass. Yeah. She's probably like, fuck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's probably like whoever was visiting um, Charlottesville the day that the riots happened. They're like, oh my God, this is going to be great, Bill. We're going to come here. We're going to unwind after a couple of days. And all of a sudden they see like this mob of angry men marching down the street with tiki torches. And they're like, Bill, Bill. <laughs> Bell, come here. <laughs> Where did we say we were again? <laughs> oh, Jesus, my God. Fuck. It's, yeah, 7,000 businesses. And then, that, yeah, so I love this. So the Germans find the Jews for all the destruction. They're like, yes, uh, German citizens came in and destroyed all this, but you guys are going to, you guys, they find them over a billion dollars for all oh the destruction that had happened to their communities. From someone else. From someone else. <laughs> someone else came in and wrecked your community and you're going to get fined because look at all this glass everywhere. <laughs> Just look at the Who's going to clean this it's up? Everywhere. Who is going to clean this up? Hmm? <laughs> you tell me. Reporter <laughs> Reporter Hugh Green was on site and reported the events as such. Mob rule. <clears throat> Mob rule. <laughs> there's, a, Mob. there's a word in between there. <laughs> yeah. Mob law ruled in Berlin throughout the afternoon and evening, and hordes of hooligans indulged in an orgy of destruction. I have never seen several... I have seen several anti-Jewish outbreaks in Germany during the last five years, but never seen anything as nauseating as this. 
Racial hatred and hysteria seem to have taken complete hold of otherwise decent people. I saw fashionably dressed women clapping their hands and screaming with glee while respectable middle-class mothers held up their babies to see the fun. Ah, well, that, that triggered me for today. Yeah, <laughs> I that's was, really fucked up. Was, but the sad thing is, I can see that happening to Muslim or Mexican communities in that's our country. Yeah, that's why I'm saying that's why it triggered me, because it's like, you could have written that today, and I would have been like, ah, did that happen yesterday? Yeah, I, whoa, was that on the news yesterday? Yeah, like, what did I miss, right? It's like, he says, otherwise respectable, like, what does he say, um otherwise decent people like these aren't bad people like we 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 imagine germany and germans as just these awful vicious people that you know just had no respect for human life but they were they were like us yeah they're average citizens they're average citizens who believed a lie that the jews were destroying their country mm-hmm. just like Many Americans believe the lie. Muslims are destroying your country. Gays are destroying your country. Mexicans are destroying your country. All these outside minorities, they're destroying their country. They're keeping us from being great. And Not the rich white men who have 90 oh, fucking... Yeah. Who have all of the world's wealth all to themselves. And the 99% don't even have like... What is it? like? The, the rest of the country doesn't yeah. even have like a quarter of the wealth. Or yeah, 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 like yeah. Oh, no, no. The wealthy businessmen who are luring you to their, to their cities so that they can... They, they, so that they, you know, they can pay you a ridiculous limited wage. They're luring you here with promises that they will not keep. And they're lying to you and they're letting you live in your truck on the side of the road and paying you pennies for your work. Those aren't the people you should blame. Blame the minorities. You know, it, it's the same fucking song and verse, people. The si- History repeats itself. History repeats itself. History repeats itself. Fucking read a history book. And over and over again. (laughs) Or listen to history podcasts. (laughs) There you go. Um, So, Evelyn would leave Germany shortly after this incident. No shit. (laughs) So, I've decided that maybe it's time for me to go. Um, It's not you guys. It's just that I kind of... uh, I forgot I left the stove on at home. (laughs) I I might be plugged in. Um, (laughs) Nobody's there to feed the cats. I just really need to get out of here. It's been a year, and I'm just remembering (laughs) who's going to pick up the mail. Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) So, her final travels took her to Russia. That's interesting. She's making it interesting choices she she's is. like i'm gonna leave this place over here and i'm gonna go over here so at the time russia was covering fr- recovering from its second purge and that's just where they would go through and kill hundreds of people in the government just, just be like stalin would just be like i don't know how to do a russian what's a russian accent i don't know very angry <laughs> stalin would just be like i'm tired of all these people that was <laughs> yeah. really good but by the way did you know that putin was actually a russian spy before he Went up in the ring. Really? I'm not surprised. He started as a spy. Yeah, because they're all shady. Yeah. They're all shady bitches. They are. They are the real queens of shade. They are. Oh, God. <laughs> so, um, later, Evelyn would learn that the family she was staying with in Germany was killed in a concentration camp. Mm. Yeah. These horrors gave the young doctor a new purpose, and she dedicated her research to aiding in social, social justice for marginalized groups. She returned home to America and attempted to reassume her teaching position. 
However, because she had spent time in Russia, the faculty feared she may be a subversive, a.k.a. a commie, because of the Red Scare. Mm-hmm, the Red Scare that's going on. Also, I love that they were mad that she was in Russia for like 30 seconds, but she spent over a year in Germany, yeah. where they're rounding up the Jews and putting them in concentration camps. That and wasn't like, a big deal, no. no. Don't worry about that. Well, you know, someone's got to take care of that problem, but I heard is you stepped a foot in Russia, so mm. I don't know if we can trust you. Yeah. <laughs> So instead, Evelyn turned to the University of California, Los Angeles, also known as the UCLA, and took a position as a research assistant. This was a step down from her title as doctor. She was forced to do this because there was no positions open. However, uh, also when she took this job, the guy told her, um, she's like, look, I'll take any job that you give me. And he's like, all right, fine, but I'm just going to tell you, the women don't fare well. But, but in a short time, she had proved herself and was promoted to lead researcher and a teacher. She would remain at the acclaimed university for the next 30 years. Oh my god. That's catching. <laughs> Isn't it awful? It's just yeah. like right in the middle of when you're reading. It just takes over. <sighs> so during this time, she married a man by the name of Don Caldwell. We don't know much, only that the marriage lasted a few years. What is important about this time period is Evelyn's friendship with a young man named Sam Frum. Sam from where? <laughs> I'm sure he heard that every day of his life. Sam from. From where? It's just That's why from, he became from friends with Evelyn Hooker. He was like, I, you understand my pain. <laughs> she's still Evelyn Gentry. Well, I guess now she's Evelyn Caldwell. Oh, yeah. I see. At this time. But, uh, Sam was an undergraduate in Evelyn's introductory psycho- psychology course in 1944. The two struck... Oh, my God. The words are moving. Mm. The two struck up a friendship and began hanging out together after class. According to Evelyn, Sam never officially outed himself, but as she spent time with him and his partner, she quickly understood the nature of their relationship. It was never an issue for her, and after some time, Sam invited Evelyn and her husband to vacation with him and his partner. I bet that was a lot of fun. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After spending the week... Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like this. I, I just know that in the vacation, they went out to like a lot of the drag bars. She called them transvestite bars. But, and they could have been, like, trans, she's a transvestite. But then you have to remember, all of the wording was different. Exactly, that's what so I mean. So you never yeah. know what was, you know, exactly. the wording changes and evolves, and people don't understand that. And exactly. They get angry about it. Yeah, so we, yeah, so the point is probably a drag bar, but who knows, whatever. I mean, in, in, again, yes, wording changes. We'll talk about that in a minute. Like, you gotta be patient with people, but still, she's out in the 1940s at this time. Mm-hmm. Partying at drag bars with her husband, which well, after spent yeah, great yeah, after they spent time in Russia, yeah. like they were just doing everything they could to get on the like the bad like the <laughs> right like the black what can like, we what can do? We do yeah be the black sheep yeah. Um, after spending the week together and seeing the two men openly showing affection intimate and intimacy, Sam asked Evelyn for a favor. He told her that the homosexual community needed the stigma of mental illness removed from them. He explained how discrimination would continue if proper research was not conducted. And then Sam challenged his friend, It is your scientific duty to study people like us. Yeah. That was really cool, yeah. So they go on this, and she just said that, like, like yeah, he just pulled her aside and was like, you know, you've seen us on in our most intimate moments. I mean, you know, yeah, as a couple. Hanging out, being, you yeah. know, hugging and yeah, you know, he's like, doing you know, regular right. couple stuff. And he's like, I trust you to like, and I need you to do this. So the truth is no group case studies of homosexuals had ever been completed. This rife bigotry stemmed from individual theories of biopsychologists and social prejudice. Anytime a homosexual visited a 
therapists for anxiety, depression, anger, trauma, headaches, sleep depravity, etc. They were told that these issues were a result of their sexuality. However, when a heterosexual visited a therapist for the same problems, their issues were never attributed to their orientation. Though several papers, books, and articles had been published on the subject, no one had actually conducted a legitimate case study. Evan Lynn agreed to do the research, but first, life got in the way. So, like, uh, you know, if you listen to our other episodes, so Sigmund Freud, and, and I, there's another man, and I've, I've, I'm sorry, there was someone before Freud, but, like, around the 1880, psychologists start saying, okay, homosexuality isn't a criminal. They're not deviants. They're not criminals. They're they just are sick. sick people. Exactly. They're sick people, and um, we're going to treat them for their illness. But they're all just, like, they're studying individuals. They're not, but they're not doing any, like, actual uh, proper study. Mm -hmm. They're just studying these individuals with the bias that they're sick. Like, you're gay, that's why you have all these issues. And if you're straight, you have these issues because of other things. You know, you have issues because your father died, or because you were raped, or because of this. Well, we're going to dig deeper because you're straight. But if you're gay, it stops right there. Every issue in your life is because you're gay. If you stop being gay, you'll be better. Exactly. Right. That's going to fix all your problems. And they're they're writing all these articles, but none of them are actually doing research on the subject. Mm -hmm. They're just documenting what they see. Exactly. And based on their bias. So they're taking their bias viewpoint and applying it to the situation to say this was what happened because he was gay. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and people like Sam Frum and people in the homophile movement are like, no, we're normal people. We need someone on our side, but who can that will conduct a legitimate research Mm -hmm. or at least someone who understands us better. Right. But, like we said, so Sam asked her that in 1945, I think, but life got in the way. So Evelyn divorced Don in 1947, and in need of a place to stay, she moved into the guest cottage of Edward Hooker. Hmm. Hooker was an esteemed English professor at UCLA, and he and Evelyn had become good friends. Mm, Really good friends. Oh, yeah. Such good friends that in 1951, they went to London and were married. So she just moves in here. Hmm. Look at you, Edward, swooping in. He's like, I know. You know, Evelyn, I have a guest cottage. Maybe you could you know, stay. You know, just if you need a place to stay, I have a place to stay. The Thank windows you. like look into each other's houses, and he always has his <laughs> windows open. He's just walking around naked. Exactly. He like gets in the morning. He stretches in front of the window, does his calisthenics. That's what <laughs> they did at the time. <laughs> and, oh, I'm sorry, Evelyn. I forgot. I forget you're there all the time. I just forget you're there. <laughs> so, anyways, Evelyn Hooker now began to focus again on her career. In 1953, she applied for a six-month grant with the National Institute of Mental Health to study non-clinical homosexual men and a comparable group of heterosexual men. The chief of the grants division was so intrigued by Evelyn's application that he flew out to meet her. This was during the era of the Lavender Scare, which we had covered in episodes 9 and 10, when thousands of homosexuals were being fired, evicted, and institutionalized. The official diagnosis for homosexuals was a, a severe and perverse emotional disorder. Later in life, Evelyn would state that the only reason she believed the grant was given was because she was a married heterosexual woman. And in the other case, she thinks the chief would have denied the request. Oh, I think so. Oh, yeah. If any person, if anyone, like, yeah, I yeah. can't foresee anyone else getting that grant. They oh, probably no. would have been like, 
I don't know. Well, if like, any man had applied, they'd be like, oh, what are your real intentions? Right. You know, and no man probably would have applied. Right. You know, and, and of course, a lesbian couldn't apply. So she's a, she's a married. That helps. She's hetero. You know, she's straight. And they're like, well, I guess she'd be safe to do I'm, this. I'm almost wondering if she, if they granted it in hopes that it would prove the opposite of her outcome. Oh, I'm sure they did. You know, like, yeah, the, I mean, everybody's rude. Like, they just... I don't think anybody expected her results to come back the way they did. I think right. everyone expected her to come back and, and affirm what they had been saying for years. Like, what well, we've been telling you for 50 years that this is why they do what they do. So go ahead, little woman. Run along and prove us right. Right. Probably. So, Dr. Hooker began her study and first faced the challenge of recruiting men for the research. She first found 30 homosexual men. In order to preserve the legitimacy of the study, she required that none of the men from either group had pre- have previously been seen for psychological help in disciplinary barracks in the armed services in prison, showed evidence of considerable disturbance, or were in therapy. She also did allow she also did not allow any men that she knew on a close personal level, which meant she did not include her friend Sam from or his partner. Which is smart. You want to yeah, keep exactly. if you want to do this legitimate study, you need to keep it non biased. You need to get yeah. this. You need to eliminate as many variables as possible, mm-hmm. and you just need a very solid group of people that are as similar as you possibly can get exactly and she made sure that they were all healthy and like in a good state of mind you couldn't have an addiction there couldn't be any anything in your history that would say that already lent to a uh, mental disorders like right. she needed 30 completely healthy men she then attempted to find 30 heterosexual men for the study but this was much more difficult the stigma and consequences around homosexuality were so hard were so harsh, were so harsh that no one wanted to be tied to the group in any way. Yet it was imperative that Dr. Hooker not only find straight men, but straight men who relatively matched the IQ, age, and education of her homosexual subjects. She tells one story of recruiting a firefighter who came to check her fire alarms. He was reluctant at first, but she offered to pay for his child care for his little boy, and so he agreed. In time, she was able to find 30 willing participants. I wonder if she set the fire alarm off on purpose. <laughs> like, I'm desperate here, maybe. Like I need someone. Yeah, she said that he, he, I don't know, he must have had like older and younger kids, or I don't know, because like, she, yeah, she just said that one day she's in her office and she like sees these men out in the hall and she thought they were there to sign up. And she's like, hi, are you here to sign up for the study? And they're like, no, ma'am, we're just here to protect your fire alarm. And she's like, well, do you want to set a, sign up for the study? And he's like, oh, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And she just kept pushing him and pushing him, and finally, like, she got him to do it. So She was not backing off. She was like, no, but I need 30 men now. <laughs> <laughs> In order to preserve anonymity, as it was such a delicate subject at the time, Dr. Hooker conducted the studies in her home. She administered the thermatic apperception test, the make-a-picture-story, or the MAPS test, the Rorsch-Inkblock test. All standard psychological testing of the time to determine a person's mental health. After a year of research, she presented 60 unmarked folders to three experts who had no other involvement with the study and who had no idea who any of the subjects were. The experts also had no idea which subjects were gay and which were straight. It is also important to note that her experts were Edwin Schneidman, the creator of the MAPS test, Bruno Klopfer, the leading expert on the Rorsch test, and Dr. Mortimer Mayer, who went through the entire process twice because he was determined that he could distinguish that he could distinguish between the two sets. 
Oh, he was really. He was like, oh, yeah. No, well, some of these are gay. I know. The ones who saw these ink blots were definitely the gay ones. Nope. No, Those no. are the ones who fucked their wife before they came. <laughs> exactly. Like, literally, they had sex 30 minutes before coming in. No, they, it was true. Like, all the men were, like, very, like, determined they were going to be able to tell. They're like, okay, fine. You can let us do it, but I'm going to tell you right now, I can tell. Who is who? The only thing is Bruno Klopfer did guess one guy was gay, but it was like it's, an absent. It was like, on, it was like wait, exactly. It I mean, if like you're going through luck. sixty things, you're like you're and half and like, half. Is this one gay? Is this one gay? Right. Is this one gay? I told you I can find one. Right, like of course it's thirty and thirty. There's an equal mix. Of course you're gonna be able to tell which one's right. gay and which. Like obviously you're gonna get lucky. Yeah, they like said you. it was on a fluke that he was able to get one, but like, it, but yeah, but Mortimer Mayer was like he just kept going through like the entire process just. To be like, no, no, uh, uh, just give me a second now. I- I'll figure it out. <laughs> but it couldn't. But the three experts could not find any distinguishable signs between the two categories of men, and they concluded that all 60 were mentally well adjusted. Sadly, Evelyn's friend Sam died in a car crash just before her research was concluded and never knew the results of her study. But in 1956, Evelyn presented these findings to the American Psychological Association in, in Chicago. NIMF, the National Institute of Mental Health, was so impressed with Dr. Hooker's work that they granted her a Lifetime Research Career Award just a few years later in 1961. This gave Evelyn the opportunity to have the funds to research homosexuals for the rest of her career if she chose. And for the next, did, and for the next decade, she did just that. That's incredible. Yeah. Evelyn spent most of the 60s in gay clubs, bar... Oh, I have to do my research. So let me get my research funding. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to dip into this. Drinks are on me tonight, boys. This is all for research, okay? All for research. I need all of you fucking someone at the end of the night. <laughs> so she spent the 60s in gay clubs, bars, social gatherings, political rallies, and more studying queer culture. <laughs> I am getting paid to study gays? Oh, I have to start in the clubs. That's right. She also fought to have homosexuality decriminalized and to have it removed as a disorder in the diagnosis manual. Dr. Hooker was asked to put together and lead the NIM Task Force on Homosexuality. In 1969, the task force produced a report indicating that homosexuality should be considered neither pathological nor criminal. Finally, in 1973, the American Psychological Association voted to remove homosexuality as a mental disorder. This was a landmark win for, the queer, for queer communities and would begin to change the medical treatment of homosexuals. This, in turn, shifted the social, attitudes toward, social attitude towards gay, lesbian, and bisexual individuals. Yes, um, I didn't find... There were a few people that were upset at her findings, but for the most part, when she presented this back in 1956, people were like, oh, okay, I mean, and then more people did studies after to, like, verify, but, like, everyone kept coming up with the same conclusion, and it wasn't until you get closer to the 1970s where people started to get mad because now it's being removed from the diagnosis manual, and you can't you can no longer um, commit homosexuals right. to asylums anymore, right? You're like, you can't be like, my daughter's gay. I'm just going to lock Damn, her up. Now I have to fucking deal with that bitch. Exactly. Now I just have to like let them run around and be gay. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and this is a, when we start to see the cropping up of conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. This is when it like really takes off. Like before, it was just considered standard treatment. Now, 
Like, there's evidence that says, like, look, homosexuals are not... In fact, I think we have a clip on one of our... On our Facebook from way back when that says, like, homosexuals... Like, time ran a thing that said, like, homosexuals are not... You know, it finds that they're they're not mentally unstable. Right. Anyways, um, but yeah, so, like, so now... So, whenever it's removed from the diagnosis manual, that's when the alt-right comes in. They're like, okay, well, we're going to do conversion therapy. Right. We're well, if they're, not, if they're not sick... Let's make them straight. Why right. not? Why not cure the social? Yeah, whatever. The social, whatever. They're like, let's fix. Let's fix them. They're not. They're not sick, but let's fix them. Yeah, exactly. They're not sick, but we got. Yeah, we're gonna fix them anyways. We're, we're gonna. Yeah. Well, it's not about being sick. It's about sin and and Jesus yeah. and you know we all have sin, right? right? You know. So. But only the gay sin matters. Exactly. Only the well, that's the sin that's causing all the catastrophes in the oh, world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just give it a couple of days; they'll be coming out with Florence. Like that's why Florence happened. Oh, probably. Yeah. So in the early seventies, Dr. Hooker gave up her research career award and went into private practice. She continued to fight for the rights of queer individuals. When she spoke of this time in interviews, she would get choked up. She told of how at almost every party or function, a gay man or lesbian would approach her and thank her for what she did for them. One young woman shared that she had been institutionalized in the 60s for being a lesbian and was set to undergo shock therapy, which was, especially at that time, was very horrific. It's still awful today, but, like, then, I mean, like, they, like, strapped huge electrodes to your head and just shocked the shit out they of you. They were trying to cook you. Like, they were. The, they were the trying goal to fry was, if you're not going to give up and say you're straight, mm-hmm. we're just going to make it so you can't say anything. Like, yeah. we're going to just fuck your brain and right. fuck your body. Exactly. It's like, and not in a good way. <laughs> not in the way we like to be friends. Right, exactly. Uh, no, it's like, like so they stopped lobotomies, but they didn't need the lobotomies because they would just, like, like right. you said, cook your brain. So just scramble it so you can't do anything. However, the woman's therapist who had been admitted to the asylum, and, um, he became familiar with Dr. Work, with Dr. Hooker's work and decided to suspend this patient's treatment. So mm-hmm. Evelyn stopped this young woman from undergoing such an awful therapy. And, and just every time she went out, she would talk about how people would come up and say how she saved them from some kind, you know, from being some kind of horror, from some kind of horror, even just societal horror. Exactly. And And even their own internal conflict of, am I sick? Am I demented? What's wrong with me? If that's being shoved down your throat Mm -hmm. your whole life and that's just how you're thinking, then somebody, she's like the knight in shining armor to these people. She just like wrote up and I was like, no, you're all fine. Yeah. And here's the proof. Exactly. So in 1991, the APA awarded Evelyn with the distinguished contribution in the public interest award. A year later, the Academy Award-nominated documentary Changing Our Minds, the story of Dr. Evelyn Hooker, was released. That same year, she received a $500,000 award from Wayne Plasic. He was one of the men who had participated in her original study and left her the money to fund the research that combats homophobia. In 1994, the Wayne Plasic Trust was established as a grant of the American Psychological Foundation, which is the APF and has been contributing to gay and lesbian studies and psychology ever since. In 2000, the APF expanded this to a program set up as the Evelyn Hooker Program to fund research that was consistent with her goals and values. And on November 18th, 1996, Evelyn passed away at age 89. I didn't see what she passed away of. I do know that she smoked a lot. That would be the one thing. It's probably just at an old age, like the whole... Well, I mean, she's 89 years old. Right. You know, she's lived her life. 
Her legacy impacted not only the queer community, but female scientists, women in general, and anyone who chose to take on a risky study. Her findings continue to confound the alt-right today and have withstood the te- and have withstood decades of attacks. Like when I was researching this, there were all these papers about how Evelyn Hook was wrong. Like oh. written today about how what she did was wrong. You know, she only studied rats before she ever did this, so clearly she had have no idea how to study humans. Of course. She was a hero to many, many people. Upon her death, Dr. Edwin Schneidman, one of the three experts from her study, said this. She was a strikingly handsome woman with a wonderfully full voice and a prepossessing, room-filling laugh. She was packed with zeal, but she was not a zealot. She was filled with laughter, but she was not a fool. She was beset with vicissitudes, but she was not a coward. She was a bear for Judeo-Christian morality, but she was not a prude. She gave her embracing affection to dozens, hundreds. And, and uh, do you bring I was just going to say, and I just, so, and we just wanted to clude, conclude by saying again, uh, thank you to our allies. This is a, a straight ally who did so much for the community. And, you know, we talked about, briefly about how, like, she talked about, she called the drag bars transvestite bars. And... I just wanted to say, like, my personal opinion. So education, it's hard to understand. Even a woman who lives in queer society, like, she studies it for a living. If you are not a queer individual, just like if you are not a black individual, if you're not a Hispanic individual, a Muslim, you know, person of faith, like, you can't understand what it's like to live in that community and therefore you're not going to always understand how your words will affect that community so my my advice would be to both sides to the al to the allies when you're asking someone a question do it in an appropriate space mm-hmm. you know like i was at a wedding last night it was a gay wedding i was not interested in educating anyone on trans issues like i don't want to talk to you about um, my surgeries, when I want to have them, what's appropriate here and there. But if a friend comes to me in personal, in private, if they message me privately, if we go out for lunch, I am happy to talk to them. I believe in educating uh, everyone. And to, to the people in the queer community, people in all communities, realize that you are welcome to, to face these, what am I looking for? These mistakes with anger. You are welcome to face these mistakes. When someone misgenders you, when they say a word that's offensive, when they, whatever, you can face that with anger and outrage if you want. I, I, I'm not going to tell you not to. I understand you don't want the emotional labor of having to educate people. But also, when people are really trying to, to be good, to do good, to, to be an ally, like, doesn't education and patience go much so much further? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um it's so it's so easy when some a lot of people make honest mistakes and they're not doing it to be malicious there are people who will say things to be malicious yeah and i think it's important that when someone does make a mistake that you try to help them and better their understanding so that way they'll feel better about a situation they'll feel more confident and then maybe it won't happen again yeah i mean and, and everyone does like when Paul and I, on our sixth episode, we covered Reed Erickson, and we we referred to him as a transgendered man, which is not an appropriate term. You're not supposed to say transgendered. I'm a transgender man. I've been out for nearly a year. I had no idea 
that transgendered. It just seemed like when I stopped and really thought about it, I was like, okay, I get, you know, you don't say someone's a gayed, someone's a lesbian, but I just didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. Like you just, I don't, you, I hadn't used that terminology enough in my life at that point to know that why this would be offensive. And then someone pointed it out to us and we went back and we reviewed it and we're like, oh my God, that makes sense. You're right. We make mistakes. Like this idea that everyone's just supposed to be born with this awareness. And if they don't, well, fuck you for not taking the time to be aware. How aware are you of other people? Like how aware are you of people of color? How aware are you of people of faith, of minority faiths? How aware are you of a straight white family? Oh, no one needs to be aware of them. Yes, they do. The straight white family is clearly there's a fear on their part. We wouldn't have Trump if straight white families weren't afraid of something, you know, like awareness comes. We have to educate ourselves and we're not. It's a lot. It's a lot. Every every group of people, every minority, every section of society has different struggles, has different terminology, has different words, has different language. So it's really just about learning and understanding and mistakes are going to happen. Yeah. The best thing to do is to educate, and if you make a mistake, apologize, learn from it, and grow. Yeah, and I, I mean, my I would just say be patient, be patient and kind. Um, sometimes that falls on deaf ears, but I would I always strive for patience and kindness. But anyways, that's all we have for today, guys. Check us out on social media. Don't forget we've got our videos on Kavanaugh and Russian poisonings, those little salty bitches, mm-hmm. um, on our Patreon page. So you go, you donate to the FTO, donate a dollar or three dollars to get the videos. Uh, three. Three dollars. So $3. It initially, so the, the dollar donation is more of a tip jar. That's, you know, you're that saying, That just helps. Hey, that goes towards the cause. Thanks for doing this. The three dollars is when you really start getting access to the content and mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah. Yeah. So for only three dollars a month, though, you're you're helping the queer community and you get to see more our faces. Of, more also, of us. also, mm-hmm. um, our Patreon, our patrons voted. Okay. The YouTube challenge we will be doing, which the YouTube challenge will be public on our YouTube channel. So if yeah. you're not a patron, you'll be able to watch that. And you can also listen to our podcast on yes. YouTube, which you might, if you're listening to right now, unless you're listening <laughs> somewhere. But go ahead. Um. The What's in the Box Challenge one. Yeah. Which you should be happy about because the other ones are worse. (laughs) That's Um, true. So if you want to see me have Evan stick his hand in a box of glass, check us out on YouTube. Yes. So thank you. And um, so next time, uh, on our next video, you'll be seeing me with a cast on my hand because of this (laughs) asshole. Uh, Our resource today is the documentary Changing Our Minds, the story of Dr. Evelyn Hooker. That is available on Amazon if you have Amazon Prime. Or if you just want to get, you can buy the uh, video on Amazon. Also, there are clips on YouTube. I couldn't find the full documentary. Um, and and if you um, are an ally, P Flag. P Flag is a great. It's a there. Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Not stations, but organizations. There's groups. Centers. Groups. Groups. There's groups located in uh, every state in the country, and it's for any allies of the LGBTQ community to join. Um, you know, if you're, especially if you're a parent, it's originally was formed for parents mm-hmm. of lesbian and gay children, but if for any allies, you know, if you want to be involved, if you want to get back, check out your local P flag and, you know, yeah. get involved and, uh, stay queer, stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy and, and uh, we love you questions and we also love you straight allies. We love you straightions. Yeah, what should we call them? Oh my god. We love you, Alquins. We love you. I don't know. We'll have a name for you next episode. We'll get you something, you little hookers.